Thanks for joining us for another episode of SDBC Podcast. Today, Mary and I will be discussing the Netflix documentary called Social Dilemma. We'll also be discussing social media and its impact on our society, things related to mental health, fake news, curated content, and much more. We hope you enjoy this episode. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of SDBC Podcast, where we talk about Christianity and culture. Um, if you're joining for the first time, my name is Paul. And I'm Mary, the Community Life Coordinator here at SDBC. Yeah, and we have an interesting episode here. We're going to talk about uh, a documentary that we watched. Um, this documentary came out in January earlier this year. Um, it's called The Social Dilemma, and it's by a director named Jeff Orlowski. You may have already watched it. Um, lots of people were actually watching it and talking about mm -hmm. it on social media mm -hmm. and talking about it in our friend groups and stuff like that. So Mary and I decided that we would go and watch it, and maybe we want to talk about it as well, since so many people were talking about it just on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and over dinner tables probably as well. Um, but this, this director, Jeff Orlowski, he studied anthropology uh, at Stanford and he seems to have a lot of Stanford connections because throughout the documentary, mm -hmm. there's actually a lot of people who are either famous or well-known in, in their own disciplines. There's guys like you know, engineers who work at Google or Facebook or Twitter and Instagram, Pinterest. There's a former president of Pinterest who speaks throughout this um, documentary. There are Harvard business profs and there are uh, social psychologists, Stanford profs, other engineers, other people in the industry, if you will. So there's a lot of important conversations being had here. So if you haven't watched this documentary, I highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, we have to make sure our critical thinking caps are on, right? Like right. we can't take everything and yeah. think this is fact or we yeah. got to do our own fact checking and things like that. And Just another thing is that they focus a lot on the consequences and the problems of social media and tech. And yes, there, there are many of them, especially as we progress in the world. But another thing to realize, especially in light of the COVID reality that we're living in, is all of the good that still comes from this technology and AI mm -hmm. and social media. I mean, we wouldn't even be able to have services right now if we didn't have these abilities. And it's still an amazing way that people can stay connected. So in light of everything that this documentary discusses, and they mention it too, to just keep in your mind always that these things were originally meant for good and they are still doing a lot of good even though there are some serious consequences that have now arisen in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And good point because our church obviously has an Instagram account, Facebook yeah. account, and we're very active on those social media platforms as well. So yeah, we, we can use it for, for, for us to communicate and use it as a good tool. But there are some complications and some things that maybe not everyone is thinking about. Some of the dangers, the pitfalls of this um, platform. So this this documentary um, itself, it addresses some of those pitfalls, some of the potential dangers of the platforms. Mm -hmm. And I guess if you haven't watched it, and if you want to listen to this podcast and then go watch it, um, the gist of it is this. The documentary is suggesting that there's a really interesting monetization model that these companies use. Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Uber, all these companies. And they use this monetization model that views the users as the product, mm -hmm. not the consumer. Usually we're used to this model of, okay, the users, we're the consumers. We buy a product, we buy a service, and they get money. But this time, Facebook doesn't make money because we have an account. It's free for us. It's free for us to use YouTube to a large extent. It's free for us to use lots of services like Google Search and all these, all these platforms. 
So what, what this documentary is suggesting is that then we are the product. Mm -hmm. Their consumers, these companies, their consumers are the advertisers that advertise to us. So you probably notice if you scroll through Instagram or whatever, you'll start yeah. to see ads. And yeah. YouTube has very annoying ads too, yeah. at least in my opinion. And what was that quote they said? If you are not paying for the product, then you are the product. You are the product, yeah. yeah. And then do you remember there's this other guy who, who kind of points out, he goes a step further and defines it like this. He says, well, actually, it's not just you, the users, who are the product. It's also that these companies pay so that there could be a slow and gradual behavior change in you. Mm -hmm. And that's the product. Yeah. And they talk about how um, Facebook and people on Facebook kind of impacted the American election, not this past one, but the one before that. And, and they get into, I know it sounds like a, a, a conspiracy theory for some of you, but like there are ways that people are being impacted and behavior is being shaped mm -hmm. by some of these things. And we'll yeah. get to that later. But I, I found it fascinating that this documentary also kind of focuses on Generation Z. And our church has been talking about Generation yeah. Z. We talked about James Emery White's book, Meet Generation Z or Generation Z for all of us Canadians. But I found it fascinating because you are in that generation. I am. Yeah, my age is out now. I yeah. was born in 1996, the, <laughs> the year Gen Z started. There you go. So you're you're in kind of well, in the thick of it. Yeah. They also say that your generation is the first generation that had all these platforms on your phone or on your iPad or computer when you were in middle school. Mm -hmm. Like even though I'm not too much older than you are, um, I didn't have that. Right. And in, in, in high school, I had a pager, right? Like I did not have Instagram. Like I didn't grow up with. Facebook or Instagram as a young child, but you kind of did in middle school age. Yeah. I don't know if you personally had it, but your generation had it. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Snapchat and all that stuff. Yeah. And as sort of the first year that Gen Z started, I can also um, remember watching the shift, mm. how first year maybe it was just a couple and how now it's totally become the mainstream to both have a smartphone and to have social media. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just, it, it took watching a documentary like this to sort of step back and actually see the change. Cause you know, when you're in it, you don't yeah. always recognize that it's happening, yeah. but then being able to see it um, from a different vantage point. And yeah, it's, it's just fascinating how much it can impact you without you realizing it. One thing that this documentary talks about is how this current generation, um, my generation, is falling um, privy to something called digital atrophy or mm -hmm. digital pacifying. And pretty much how they describe that is when you maybe come home from a stressful day or you're having a bad moment or you're going through some sort of depression or whatever, when you're at your most vulnerable, instead of being able to press into your own feelings and feel them and talk them out with someone, we go right to okay open up instagram let's scroll through the top 10 funniest things that happen in the world today or whatever and we're training ourselves to not have to um almost be emotionally re responsible for our own feelings um and i sometimes i can catch myself doing that just thinking that okay tonight uh, there's been a lot of stressful stuff i'm just gonna veg out and watch <laughs> netflix i think a lot of people in my generation i i mean in, in every generation nowadays but the term veg out is something that is really appealing to us. I'm just going to shut off my brain. Don't have to deal yeah. with that. Let's just scroll through something. Yeah, you got the veg mode and then you got the adulting mode and yeah, you got different exactly. modes, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. It is interesting that you say that because like we don't want to stereotype generations and no. we get that, you know, 
I, I get it. If you're a Generation Z listener right now and you're like, I'm not like that. I totally get it. Not everyone is. Not everyone full, uh, fits into this model or anything, but we are seeing it. And even in my generation, I'm technically a millennial, but I see this as a growing factor, right? Yeah. Rather than dealing with the stresses by, like you said, you know, turning to your spouse or your your friends or your mom or your dad and then speaking, like speaking your stress out and then processing it with someone in a, in a healthier way, mm -hmm. we're just kind of using a pacifier. They call it, like you said, yeah, the digital exactly. pacifier. It, it is very interesting. They're saying that it, they call it a digital atrophying as well, like you said, because we are losing our ability to be resilient. We're losing our ability to um, withstand stresses and withstand, uh, withstand criticisms even, right? Yeah. Um, there's a scene in this documentary where the young girl, probably middle school aged, where she posts a photo of herself and then there's lots of likes and she's feeling great and affirmed. And then there's one kind of a cyber bully kind of type of yeah. uh, response there where it says, oh, what's wrong with your year or whatever, makes a comment negatively about the physical appearance of this girl. And she now goes into full on mm -hmm. um, doubting herself, depression mode, and it causes a real downward spiral for her on that day. Yeah, and it totally, um can really make light of what we are idolizing or what we are putting our identity into. Because mm -hmm. if you're constantly turning to your phone into social media and that's where you go first and that's where you find your comfort, then that's where you're basing your self-esteem from. Mm -hmm. And so when something, even as small as that, you think it's small when you see it on paper, you watch it on a movie, but when it happens to you, it can become a really impactful thing. Just yeah. one comment about how, oh, you don't look so good today can now all of a sudden start informing the deep truths that you believe about yourself just yeah. because of the time and the impact that something like that can have yeah and you know we, we talked about it in generation z the book by james emery white and he kind of talks about this generation being being like okay shaped by the big events of 2008 where you know the iphone dropped mm -hmm. and that's when youtube started to become mainstream and twitter and so the year 2008 was a huge year and of course you were quite young at that time. Yeah. And, and that's where a big shift in technology happened. And the way we associate ourselves um, within that technological world, it's, it's just completely shifted, mm -hmm. right? But then what your generation and my generation is known for also is our, I guess, close relation to mental health mm -hmm. and how much we talk about it, how much we care about it and how much we struggle with it at times. Um, and not saying that there wasn't mental health challenges before in previous uh, generations, but I think Positively speaking, our generations are more willing to discuss it, a little bit more willing to fight the um, stigmatism. Yeah. Uh, and also to really be a proponent of mental health is an important thing that we should we should discuss at workplaces and homes and churches and and elsewhere in society. However, there's also the negative downside to this that this documentary addresses that because of the digital atrophying, the digital pacifying, the, the all of the platforms that that are kind of allowing our generation to not build up our resilience. Mm -hmm. What's happened was that our mental health has become a huge issue. And statistically, um, they've shared some American stats, of course, but statistically they're seeing, you know, an inc um, increase in uh, suicide rates, especially among younger people mm -hmm. and depression rates for sure. Yeah. Um, and people who, um, who are seeking medical and professional help is also growing, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, we are definitely seeing uh, a, a trend upward trend in yeah. the mental health department. And I think that's not an American trend alone. I think this is globally um, mm -hmm. impacting us. Yeah, they specifically pointed out that the percentage has really increased within older teenagers, but it's almost 
whatever that percentage was, it's double for mm. kids in their preteens, which is just so young. We almost don't even want to think about that. But it's, yeah, like you said, it's a trend as social media increases, then it's just growing. Yeah. And, and our church has talked about it as well, right? Like we had courses on how do we help ourselves and our family members and our friends who are walking through this journey of anxiety, depression, and other mental health challenges. How do we help but also how do we educate ourselves in mm -hmm. order to minister to one another effectively? I, yeah. I thought that was a really powerful moment for our church family when several of us went through that class together, mm -hmm. uh, the sanctuary course. Um, and, and once we're out of COVID again, I'm sure we'll run that course again because we had such a positive response to it. But I think it is healthy for churches and schools and other organizations to think about these things. Mm -hmm. What are the impacts of um, social media on our mental health, mm -hmm. right? Um, especially because, you know, it, a lot of times this is a very private and public action, right? Yeah. You, you do this in your bedroom, like kind of what you saw this in the documentary mm -hmm. where a kid kind of goes and instead of talking her problems out with her parents or her friends, she goes into her room alone and she's crying about this, mm -hmm. right? And yet it's very public because everyone is talking about it on yeah. that platform, whether it's Twitter or Snapchat or whatever, everyone's talking about you or talking about these things. So it seems very public and yet it's just on your one screen on a small phone and that's your engagement. Mm -hmm. So it's this weird ir ironic experience where it's super public at the very time, super private. Yeah. Um, so I, I found that kind of an interesting component of the mental health conversation, right? Yeah. Where is a healthy place for those conversations to happen or those support systems to be found. Yeah. Cause you can't really Google search or you could, but you know what I mean? Like it's the real authentic community that is required to fight and combat those um, challenges and issues and, and negative thoughts. Um, you can't necessarily just find it on an app on a phone. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So mental health is a huge part of this documentary, something all the, um, all the people being interviewed really discuss. And another thing is all of the fake news curated content and the fact that we still need to be really critical thinkers because of how everything is curated for us. And so what did you think about those topics? Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about it on staff a lot, right? Yeah. Like how, you know, we got to have our critical thinking caps on. And, and this is, I, I know your mom is a teacher. I used to teach, my, yeah. my wife's a teacher. So we all have this thing when, when we're educators, what we're really doing is when I used to teach literature, I don't care if my student remembers a line from Shakespeare or not, right? We get them to memorize like silly lines from Hamlet, for example, to yeah. be or not to be, that yeah. is a question. Like, but to be honest, when you're, you know, 35 years old and you know, you're married and you got a young family or whatever, you know, I don't care if you remember that soliloquy. That doesn't matter to me. But as a teacher, I want to be able to teach you how to um, how to discern whether this information is valid or not, mm -hmm. whether someone is trying to manipulate you or not, mm -hmm. whether someone is being truthful or how do you even discern, how do you even engage in those conversations? Yeah. Those are important skill sets. Like this documentary, it's kind of meta this way because you don't want to take this documentary and say, okay, everything exactly. that it's saying is true. Because it's only one voice. Yeah, it's only one voice. And it's on Netflix, by the way, if you want to watch this documentary. But that in itself is funny because Netflix also does curated content. Right. It suggests videos for you and things like that. And the way that we learned about this documentary was through social media. <laughs> our friends and our, our, our church people were posting on it. So it's very meta that the very thing that they're critiquing is the thing that's also allowing this documentary to go out to the public. So it's very strange for me, but 
Curated content and fake news is everywhere. I've used it in ser uh, sermon illustrations like Kyrie Irving, uh, mm -hmm. where very public figure, he goes out and says, I'm a flat earther now. There was this whole controversy, not just him, but many public figures saying, yeah, I believe that the earth is flat. Right. No scientific backing, no truth to it at all. And then people start to say, well, if that's his opinion, we got to respect that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the pitfalls of the society. The mm -hmm. danger is like, okay, he's heading towards a really false and probably very unhelpful um, knowledge or unhelpful thing that he or she is believing and yet we don't care right because it's his truth yeah 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 and that that gets challenged later in the documentary right like um we'll see that but I, like i i don't i don't think it's healthy for our society and for our church for example to not address this topic mm -hmm. of fake news and especially curated content. I wrote a paper on this um, yeah. for my seminary. I did a Christianity and culture course, and I did my a paper on um, a, a trend in, in, in the cultural movement called YouTube. And YouTube is, is notorious for their uh, rabbit holes. Yeah. Right. I'm sure I know you and Phil watch some videos on YouTube. I do as well. There's that curated content piece where it says, oh, you watch this. Now we will suggest these videos. Mm -hmm. Let's say you, you click on one thing that um, you liked about Donald Trump. You'll get 15 different videos suggested for you mm -hmm. that are all like pro Trump. Yeah. But then if you click on something uh, pro Biden, then you'll get like 18 different videos suggested for you for pro Biden. So this documentary actually points out like, hey, some people are going like, wow, are is everyone just not getting this? Are, are, are all the people in this world, are they just idiots? Why are they not seeing this? This information is everywhere. But it's like, well, no, that information is on your screen because exactly. you clicked on yeah. certain things and there's AI and there's algorithms yeah. designed to keep you engaged because that's what they care about on these platforms. Yeah. So they'll keep you engaged by giving you things that they know you'll be tempted to click on. Exactly. So if you look at my YouTube account, you'll see a ton of basketball highlights. Yeah. You'll see a ton of things about uh, Tim Keller and Tim Mackey and the yeah. guys that I like to watch on YouTube. You'll see a lot on tennis and Roger Federer. YouTube and Google knows me. They know my interests. They know if they suggest, oh, a new highlight from a match by Federer and Nadal, I'm 100% clicking it. Right. Right? So they, that's, that's me being the product. Yeah. And, and that's kind of scary because people are going, well, well, no, no, no. Everyone sees the same thing that I do. No, mm -hmm. they don't. They, remember that example they gave? When you do a Google search on climate, right. uh, climate change is, yeah. and then you live it, uh, leave it to autofill on the Google search, depending on where you're from and your tendencies, um, like where you are geographically when you search that, they'll give you different answers. Right. Some Based on what's popular in the, yeah. in the area. Yeah. yeah. So they'll say either climate change is a hoax, it's not real, it's fake news, or it'll say climate change is something serious that we need to discuss. Climate change needs to be addressed at the political level, blah, blah, blah. So yeah. depending on where you search it, Google curates the content right. dramatically differently. Yeah. Yeah. And like we were mentioning at first, these things both have consequences and good as well. Like, for instance, with curated content, it's not necessarily a bad thing because if you're mm -hmm. interested in basketball it's really convenient to just have them giving you basketball videos but at the same time we just need to be aware that this is happening mm -hmm. so that if we see one particularly controversial video we don't all of a sudden think that that's that's truth and that's all accurate we can then cross reference it yeah. with something else to just get a larger picture because i think yeah the danger just really comes when you don't realize that it's happening and you yeah. think everyone's seeing the same thing and that this is the ultimate truth yeah yeah and the documentary also kind of mentions that right it, it gives you a picture of this guy who 
who becomes radicalized yeah. by um, the extreme center, right? They call yeah. it the extreme center. And he gets radicalized by watching all the news and the YouTubers and following all the searches and articles that only showed him a very narrow perspective of society. And he fully bought into it, got trapped in it. And then there were some negative implications at the end. Do you remember when, so this documentary, if you watched it, you'll remember this, but there's like a scene where they go to, it's like HQ, it's the headquarters of the AI algorithms that feed him on his phone and on his, on his platforms, um, different videos to watch, different posts, different push notifications. Hey, mm -hmm. your friend logged in. You should check Facebook again. Mm -hmm. So there's like these three guys, all the same character, but dressed in different uh, ways. And these three guys are like kind of the brains behind the algorithm. And what they do is they start pushing feeds to this guy and says, hey, do you think, do you think this feed, these feeds are actually good for him? And one of the guys asks, and then the other two are like, no, I don't know. Like, they're like, why would we care? Yeah, it's not their job. It's not their job because these, these pro computer programs, and to a certain extent, these, these program designers even, their interest when they created them wasn't to give you an enjoyable, peaceful, loving time. Their goal, like, like algorithms when they're, I'm not an engineer, but they're given success goal states, right? Like, hey, AI, this is the goal, and you can figure out how to get to that goal, right? That's what artificial mm -hmm. intelligence is, I guess. But in this sense, the designers of these platforms and programs, they weren't child psychologists. It wasn't that they wanted to ruin the world or ruin this kid's life. That I'm sure that was not the case. But then because they don't have the expertise in that particular field, they may not have seen all the implications to a young child using their platform and being given these curated content when they haven't developed fully yet critical thinking uh, skills and where would that lead so there's now this conversation about who is responsible right is, is facebook or instagram are they responsible for the content so do they become a publisher now where they have to um kind of filter those things out hmm. and and then how is that different from fox news or any kind of news media channel then and what gives them the the authority to do that or at the same time how will they do that right without being politically or um, societally biased. So, so there, are, there are lots of kind of conversations around this whole fake news and curated content, but I think this documentary kind of gives us food for thought in that sense. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. It's a great conversation starter because like I was mentioning, it's not necessarily that you have to decide if these things are good or bad. It's just that you have to be aware that they're happening and how does that impact you and what can you do about that to make sure that you're getting the whole story of these things going on. Yeah, like if I had a teenage kid um, at home, like if I had a son or a daughter who were in their, you know, preteen or teenage years, I would 100% want to watch this with my kids. Now, for our listeners, if you want to watch this first to make sure that you believe it's appropriate enough for your own kids at whatever age they're at, you should probably do that. But if you haven't watched it yet, or if you even if you have watched it, I think it's a great conversation starter. I actually have recommended it to a couple of my friends who do have kids in high school or college age kids and and i said hey you should probably approach your kids instead of saying hey watch this with me my pastor told me that i should watch this with you that's probably not the best way to sell it um if it were me i think i would say things like hey i i heard about this great documentary that talks about you know the social media platforms that you're on and you're using and that i'm using and i'd love to get your perspective on it mm -hmm. as a 13 year old as a 15 year old as a 25 year old 
I would love to hear your perspective on it because they do talk about your generation a lot. So I would love to see what you thought, what you thought was, oh yeah, I see this in my friend groups or I see this in me even, or, oh no, I don't think that's relevant. I don't really agree with that. Yeah. I would love to hear your feedback. That way probably it would help you engage them a little bit more. Um, and afterwards, maybe even, um, even listen to this podcast together and, and ask these questions from a Christian perspective. Um, how do we engage with this? How do we engage with fake news and whatnot? Mm -hmm. Another thing that this podcast really, I mean, sorry, the documentary really gets into is the concept of discourse and public discourse mm -hmm. and how we've sort of fallen away from the ability to have public discourse. And it, it really made me think, um, this is American history, but the forefathers of America, the way that they wrote the laws and the constitution and came to agreement on things is they wrote essays and essays yeah. of long, drawn out, thought out, researched thoughts like essays yeah. pages and pages and that wasn't just this one guy did one thing and that was the law it went back and forth and back and forth and they respected each other's opinions and they could have this long drawn out discourse and how far we've come because that's not really how we talk mainstream anymore it's yeah. what a 250 character tweet it's so different and to me it's just so ironic that we live in a wor world where we have so much access to information that the forefathers didn't have mm -hmm. so we have so much access to this information yet we don't use it we just decide what we believe in 250 characters and then we don't want to have any further conversation about it yeah and and again without trying to like stereotype everyone into that um Yes, stereotype, but yeah. but it is it is at the same time very interesting because, like you said, well, I engage in that kind of long discourse all the time because I'm a preacher, right? That's yeah. part of my um, my role. I write papers at seminaries. I write, you know, I write articles and I, I do preaching. That's like 45 minutes long, and you know, that's pages after pages of information. Um, however, it's it's those are monologues usually, right? Like I don't usually have a conversation when I'm preaching with someone. Like I'm talking people are listening. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they have thoughts and responses, especially right now with COVID. Some people do engage in an email. Hey, I, I found it really interesting that you said this about Esther and I never really thought about it. What sources were you using? I actually had a person ask for my sources and stuff mm -hmm. in, a, in a, not in a critical way, but they were curious to follow yeah. up on some of the things I've said. And I'm like, oh, that's great. But how many people actually respond that way, right? Yeah. It's usually like, ooh, like button. I like this message or oh, I don't really agree with them. Mm -hmm. Tune out, let's go to uh, watch some other church instead. Um, so it is very interesting that that's kind of the setup because a lot of the people, not just young, but older, older people as well, because our, our primary place of like public conversation, unless you're a preacher, unless you have a platform publicly to speak, your, your primary platform is social media. But Facebook is, has never been designed for discourse and mm -hmm. neither is Twitter, Snapchat, mm -hmm. Instagram, any of these things. TikTok, I mean, that is not for discourse. So <laughs> Try to write a 45-page paper on TikTok. <laughs> yeah. So, so you, you end up kind of having this limited platform that's not designed for discourse and mm -hmm. some people still hunger for it. Mm -hmm. So they do. And what I'm finding is there's not enough space or it's not the right platform. So you see misunderstanding, mis misconstruing of information, misquoting, all of that stuff. And there's no filter on these platforms. So it becomes sometimes and oftentimes very hostile. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of pastor friends who post something about the current pandemic and then they get 56 comments and there's like some people who are going one way and another group going yeah. the other way and they're just fighting. And yeah. the pastor probably never intended this to be a battle yeah. on his thread. But it's polarizing. Yeah, it's very polarizing. And especially with fake news and curated content being pushed out through 
lots of media channels now. Um, that polarization is even worse than ever before, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think this course is important. And how do we create a, a healthy place for discourse, for proper discourse to happen? I get it. We're not assigning essays to every church member so that they write 16-page essays with 10 books and academic journals that they read, and they have to submit it by next mm -hmm. Saturday. I know I'm going to lose everyone in our church yeah. coming that way. But how do we have a healthy and safe place for healthy discourse mm -hmm. um, if Twitter is not the right platform? What do you think? I think that the first step would just be finding um, finding a community to have that in. And mm -hmm. since we, lots of the people who will be listening to this probably go to SDBC or a different church in the area, community groups specifically mm -hmm. can be a really great thing because you know that going into it, most of you are going to be unified on one thing and that's that you believe in the Lord Jesus. Um, but other than that, you're all going to have different ideas and we hope that it would be a safe place to actually explore these ideas and not just have everyone stating you know, what they believe and they're firm in all of these opinions, but that it could be a safe space to talk about your opinions and hear other people's. Yeah. And hopefully your community group is a diverse community group where you can have those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is why we, as a church leadership, we wanted to push for diverse groups, mm -hmm. right? We don't want like one ethnic group only, one gender only, one age group only. I know some of our groups are like that. So if you're listening, don't feel bad. That's okay too. But like, like we wanted to add a little bit of diversity in these groups because then we get to challenge each other's ideas right. in a healthy way, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting that you say safe, safe environment, safe place, because um, a lot of the younger generation, especially there's this whole thing about safetyism. I talked about it in my sermons before, mm -hmm. but safety is an important concept for us too, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think some people misunderstand safety. They think safety means everyone agrees with you or yeah. no one's going to challenge you, even if they disagree. Yeah. To me, that's the most dangerous part. The, the most dangerous thing is for people to just not care about the mistakes that you're making or the wrong thought process that you are having. Yeah. I think that is just straightforward. That is the worst part of some of the contemporary society things that we're seeing. Um, actually, not this guy's. I don't think is, is even a Christian, but there's a guy named Tristan Harris in the documentary. Um, he's one of the primary speakers throughout the documentary. And he says this, I don't think he's a Christian and he's not coming from a Christian perspective, but he says this, if we don't agree on what is true or that there is such a thing as truth, then we're toast. This is the problem beneath other problems, because if we can't agree on what's true, then we can't navigate out of any of our problems. I, I was mm -hmm. fascinated, so I wrote it down when I when I heard it. I rewound it, and I just I just kind of wrote it down because I'm like, man, that's kind of what we as Christians believe that there is an objective truth. Yeah. And this guy who's a scientist, an engineer, and, and a tech guy, he's saying there has to be an objective truth. If not, we're in trouble as a human race. Mm -hmm. We're toast, in his own words, right? Yeah. And I, I find that really encouraging. I know, you know, Mary and I sitting here and talking about this, it might sound like a silly plug because Mary's in charge of community life at our church. Of course, she's going to plug community groups. <clears throat> Paul Park is all about community groups. So mm -hmm. of course, I'm going to plug community groups. But it's not true. We actually plug community groups and we're so excited about it because we think it's a healthy part of society, mm -hmm. because we think it's a healthy part of our church family. Being a safe and healthy place of discourse <clears throat> doesn't mean people agree with you 100% of the time. What it does mean is people will hold you accountable with grace and love. They'll mm -hmm. accept you as a person. They'll never reject Mary Grierson or you as a person made in the image of God. But we may challenge you. Mm -hmm. We may not choose to accept some of your thoughts or ideas that we bring to the table. But when we do come to those points and communicate with each other, we'll do it with grace. 
Mm-hmm. Right? This lands us at um, the text, the Bible text that you and I talked about as we were pre- preparing for this podcast, right? Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul writes there that let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I mentioned it to our church family in a couple, few weeks ago, I think. I love that passage for right now. <clears throat> with the pandemic and uh, the social dilemma and the documentary and what it addresses, I think polarization and, and lack of discourse and lack of the ability to have a, a safe and healthy conversation around things that we disagree on. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that we need to work on as Christians. Absolutely. Yeah. And even what you were saying earlier about maybe you're sitting down with your kids to watch this, that can also be a great safe space to talk about this too, if you have those kind of family dynamics. And I, like Paul is saying, it's really important to come into even just conversations within our family with grace and thinking, even if I'm not going to agree with 100% of what they're saying, I can still show up thinking that I might at least learn something yeah. or just <laughs> understand them more or be able to see that the way that my kid interacts with social media is different than me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, community groups and also in our families, I think just getting the conversation started and hoping to learn from each other is yeah. a great place to start. Yeah. And I think God created us this way, right? Absolutely. God put us in community. God gave us the Holy Spirit, not just to one person, not just to the pastor or to the staff or to the elders. God gave it, God gave his spirit to all of us. Mm-hmm. And he, he meant for us to work together. And Paul talks about this in the Bible, right? Like we're different members of the one body that makes up the church. Mm-hmm. And I think this is important. I think the church actually needs to kind of reclaim the opportunity to be a healthy place of discourse mm-hmm. for discourse to happen. It shouldn't be left to Twitter or to Facebook or to these people to figure this out. Um, I think it is a God-given opportunity and a responsibility for us to host these conversations. Paul in Acts chapter 17 enters into uh, Mars Hill, right? Areopagus. And he, he, that's a forum of conversation in the ancient um, mm-hmm. Athenian times, right? And, and the Greeks loved it. They, they loved philosophy. But then Paul enters into that with thoughts and with philosophy and with worldview that is informed by the Bible and the Christ that he believes in. And, and that just changed the history of that forum that took place. Mm-hmm. And then I love how we have that opportunity today even though sometimes it's easier to just keep quiet and not enter into this discourse. But I think as Christians, we have an opportunity to speak into it with the gospel, with grace, with love, and with truth. And, and it's, it's just our joy to participate in that. So if you're not a part of the community groups that we have, I think you should want to sign up for one. Um, obviously, we do a lot of digital stuff now because of COVID, but um, I, think, I think as Christians, we need to take this seriously. We need to guard ourselves from fake news. And, you know, when we do get curated content, we need to know how to navigate through them well with critical thinking and with biblical, uh, biblically informed minds. And, and, and the mental health, we need to address that too. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't watched the documentary, Mary and I strongly recommend you to go watch it. Start the conversation with your friends, family, have a healthy discourse. Don't, don't, don't yell at people and don't shout at people, but have a healthy discourse with your family, with your Absolutely. friends, with your community group. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for joining us. Um, We'll have a few more episodes out coming here soon before the end of the year. We hope to address some of the things that we talked about today. We hope to address in further podcasts as well. Thanks Mm -hmm. for listening.